Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. After the Liberals put their government on the line, a key bill with pandemic benefits for workers passes unanimously in the House of Commons. They all see this as the towering priority of the government right now, and no party was willing to get in the way and, and stymie something that is got, that apparently has broad public approval. The Parliamentary Budget Office says Canada is heading toward a deficit of more than $328 billion. The deficit numbers that the Parliamentary Budget Officer gave today do not include the recovery benefits or the additional authorizations for spending that the Finance Minister has recently sought. So the deficit will be much bigger than the number that the PBO has reported. And another provincial election is called as we continue to face the second wave of the pandemic. I had the opportunity to visit our Lieutenant Governor here and I asked him to dissolve, dissolve the legislature, which will officially begin the campaign for the October 26th 20, general election, the 29th general election in the province of Saskatchewan. It's Wednesday, September 30th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Dan, thank you for being with us. Thanks for the call, Mark. So last night in the House of Commons, in the wee hours of the morning, uh, it was kind of interesting because we had a, a discussion and debate and a vote playing out in the Canadian House of Commons while there was a presidential debate going on in the United States. So lots of political theater last night. But uh, Bill C-4 passed that extends emergency benefits to Canadian workers. It passed unanimously. There had been a lot of rhetoric. At one point, the government had talked about making some of these votes confidence motions to put their government on the line to play a bit of brinksmanship with the opposition. Uh, so what do you make of all the, the lead-up to that and the outcome? Well, um, some of it was fairly predictable, Mark. I mean, it's, it is a minority parliament, and it is the job of the opposition parties to oppose. So, you know, uh, it's their job to poke holes in the government's proposals and find fault with it and to support, <clears throat> pardon me, support where it uh, merited support. Um, you know, that it came down to this unanimous uh, agreement uh, just suggests to me that all the parties perceive it as uh, this emergency, you know, more emergency relief for the Canadian economy and for Canadians. Uh, they all see this as the towering priority of the government right now, and no party was willing to get in the way. Um, and, and stymie something that is got, that apparently has broad public approval. So, um, you know, the Liberals did brandish some, uh, some very strong weapons in the run-up to this, but uh, if, if it turns out, as it seems to have, that it's just the path of least resistance for all the parties is to support it, then that's what's happened, and they can uh, get on with business and get the money out there to the public. Is there an alternative uh, where I don't think we're hearing other options being put on the table by anybody, uh, including the opposition, but are there other solutions that, that could have been brought to the table here? Uh, or are we going to see uh, throughout this process, and, and now that there's been a bit of an acknowledgement that, that, uh, that this crisis is going to continue for some time, are we going to see more and more of these measures simply being approved by everyone? Well, I mean, I, I think it's the onus is on the government to manage the crisis and its response to it in a coherent way that uh, doesn't, you know, place the burden unnecessarily on the deficit and the and the national debt. 
So, you know, this takes adroit management. And, uh, you know, we'll see if the Liberals are up to it longer term. I mean, I, I think there's, you know, they get fairly good marks in most of the polls I've seen for their response since the start of the pandemic. But now this is turning in, uh, you know, into a long, hard slog. And uh, the government has to have policies uh, ready to to cope with it that way. Um, and, and, you know, this is, keeps changing. I mean, you know, we're in a state now where, you know, the leader of the opposition has, has contracted COVID-19. And, you know, where it's still out there in our communities. Look at the numbers in Ontario and Quebec. Um, you know, so it's still an ongoing crisis of the first order. And uh, I think Canadians are expecting all the political parties to work together as much as possible um, to to move the country forward and get past this. And a huge part of that responsibility falls on the Liberals to manage this uh, prudently and not uh, be continuously trying to take advantage of it for political reasons. So we learned from the Parliamentary Budget Office yesterday that it's likely we'll have a deficit of more than $328 billion because of all of the emergency benefits and and other measures that have been brought into place in response to the coronavirus crisis. What does that mean ultimately? Is it uh, it unmanageable? Does it create an excessive burden going forward? Uh, What are the implications from that number? Well, I think the PBO itself uh, concluded that it's manageable for now. Uh, to I don't want, I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, but they they seem to say that the country does have the fiscal capacity to deal with this, although it, it looks to be posing a permanent long-term uh, structural deficit on the Canadian economy that is going to take a long, long time to sort out. Um, but uh, you know the basic structure of the Canadian economy I think is still sound, but it is a matter of of digging our way through this as time goes by. Uh, but there will be a reckoning at some point, Mark, where some government is just going to say, look, we have to turn off the taps to some degree. Some government programs are going to go. If if the country is still dealing with the pandemic and the fallout from the pandemic, some of the programs not connected to uh, the virus and things like that will, will likely face savage cuts. Uh, but that's not where they're at right now. And um, while they can still manage it, I think the government uh, of any stripe uh, would would still carry on trying to uh, meet the the challenges that individual Canadian families are facing. Yeah, and I guess it's too soon to tell uh, when that day of reckoning will come and how much debt will accumulate between now and then, because uh, obviously a lot of it is tied to the length of this crisis, right? Yeah, um, everything is tied to that. There, there literally is not another area of Canadian public policy that can move forward in a coherent way uh, without some resolution to this. And, and I mean, the whole government and every last member of parliament and senator should be spending their time sorting their way through this. And, and Mark, I, I don't think there's any doubt that the, the towering preoccupation of Canadians right now is is not anything else but getting this thing under control so that uh, people can move on. I mean, you know, you've got massive cities like Montreal now going back into lockdown. Uh, This is not sustainable long term. We've got to draw the line and end this thing as soon as possible. And uh, whatever measures that have to be taken must be taken and respected. And, um, you know, I I think Canadians will uh, remember this at the time of the next election, whenever that is. 
and we'll be voting based on the the way that different parties and the government have managed their response to this ongoing crisis. And, uh, you know, we're not near the end. And that's what everyone has to remember. It doesn't look like the next federal election will be this fall, uh, but there is going to be another provincial election. Saskatchewan is headed in that direction, along with British Columbia. Uh, so we've already had a, an election in New Brunswick, of course. Um, so I find that interesting because there were a lot of people saying, well, Canadians don't want an election this fall. You can't have an election during a crisis like this one, but we're going to have provincial elections and have been having provincial election campaigns. So uh, what does that say, ultimately? Well, uh, you know, obviously, even in big provinces like British Columbia, um Provincial elections are much more self-contained and much more much easier to manage than than a full national campaign over all those time zones and reaching literally to the North Pole. You know, so they're more manageable, they're more compact, um, and you can keep control over, say, viral spread and things like that in polling places and find alternative ways to vote. But I mean, one thing is, you know, not all parties and especially sitting premiers. Um, are willing to forego the risks uh, and also forego their political advantage. I mean, uh, Premier Horgan in B.C. and and, uh, Premier Higgs in uh, uh, New Brunswick both were in minority positions and are both trying to improve their uh, standing in the legislatures and both were willing to take the risk uh, of a pandemic election uh, by going ahead with a vote uh, this fall. Um, Saskatchewan has a fixed election date, and there's been a phony war election going on, covered intense, covered intensely. But I do read, and uh, from what it appears, they've been campaigning out in Saskatchewan for weeks as best they can, given the the situation. So, uh, you know, uh, evidently there's uh, a willingness in some provinces to go ahead, but the dynamics are totally different in politics, uh, in provincial politics, from what they are federally. And I don't think uh, an election would go down well with the general Canadian population, especially after three provinces have gone and and pulled the plug on provincial votes. So uh, I don't think there's going to be a a federal election anytime soon. And and the vote last night, I think, would uh, support that view. Yeah. All right. Great stuff, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us today. Okay, Mark. Thanks for the call. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. At Policy Options, Ricardo Trangent argues proposed changes to employment insurance are an important step toward recoupling EI and Social Security and should now be made permanent. Trangent writes, As the CERB comes to an end, the Liberal government has proposed coupling temporary changes to EI with a Canada recovery benefit for self-employed workers. Those one-year changes would include lowering the eligibility requirement to 120 hours across the country, regardless of local unemployment rates, and creating a minimum benefit rate of $500 per week. If approved, these changes will make EI more similar to the program Canada once had. In the Toronto Star, Jean Bourbeau argues a narrow focus on vaccines is a risk we can't afford. Bourbeau writes... Even once COVID-19 vaccines are developed, vaccination will not be a silver bullet. We know that in a good year, when the flu vaccine is a good match for the circulating strains of virus, effectiveness is only 40 to 60 percent. None of this is to say we should not be pursuing vaccines, but this avenue takes time. 
And while governments pour money toward pharma companies to develop them, other solutions are being neglected. At National News Watch, Don Lenahan and Andrew Balfour argue Justin Trudeau's U.N. speech points the finger at Donald Trump. They write, The U.S. used to be the world's champion for multilateralism and democratic values. Today, it looks increasingly like the angry, erratic neighbor. There was a surprising bluntness about Trudeau's speech that made us step back and try to see the bigger picture he is sketching. In our view, he sees leaders like Trump as more a symptom of the crisis than its cause. They are the product of a broken system. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will take part in a virtual event on tackling COVID-19 as part of the United Nations General Assembly. He will also speak during the UN Summit on Biodiversity. Later, he'll virtually attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. Associate Minister of Finance Mona Fortier will take part in a virtual town hall meeting hosted by the Laval Chamber of Commerce and Industry. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, September 30th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.